from newstalkzb.co.nz. It's the Mike Hosking Breakfast with BNZ. G'day there and welcome to the re-wrap for Thursday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking Breakfast on Newstalk ZB starring Mike Yardley this week. And uh, this morning we've got uh, the the idea of an Auckland stadium on the waterfront. I feel like I've heard that before. Uh, lunch breaks uh, are an endangered thing. Uh, let's tell you all about the Space, Sen- Spence- Space Centre. Uh, you got uh, just a couple more chances to win uh, a trip there. And Reese Darby comes into the studio. But before any of that, uh, police recruits, are they all as useless as those uh, dope-smoking, drinking ones we heard about yesterday or not? It's all about prevention first for a lot of these response officers. So saving people from their own stupidity, taking them home, taking them to the watch house to detox under the watchful eye of a nurse. And as the booze kicked in mid-evening, family violence calls flooded 111. There were times when the available police response was totally overwhelmed, worse than the Kuru Lounge at Auckland International. There were Priority 1 calls piling up with no available units able to respond. It was harrowing. So these 1,800 extra cops cannot come soon enough. But what really struck me was the unflinching professionalism, the cool heads and the dedication from every frontline cop and glorified social worker I crossed paths with that night. And what really stood out was the professionalism of not just the battle-hardened old-timers, but the fresh-faced recruits. There was one guy I was tracking for a lot of the night, a cop, 21. He'd been out of the college six months. His maturity, his nous, his temperament was far beyond his years. And I hope he is the rule not the exception in terms of what the college is producing. Because standards do matter, and there's no place on the front line for bad eggs. So Mike, uh, talking about being out and about with uh, some police on the beat there, I don't know why you would do that voluntarily. I'm assuming he volunteered and he hadn't just been arrested and they were taking him along with him before they went back to the police station. I'm assuming that's what happened there. Didn't really, he didn't really explain that very clearly. Uh, Auckland, uh, something has to be done about the stadium. Why, why can't we have the waterfront one again? A private sector consortium is behind the push to get some traction on this downtown stadium with a view of it opening for business in maybe seven years. So possibly we've got the idea of, what, a 65,000-seater venue? It could cost north of $1 billion, as was outlined in that pre-feasibility report some months ago. And there's talk that it would be privately funded and operated. That's a big call. But let's see. Eden Park is a dog. It will always be a dog, despite all the money shoveled into it to try and tart it up. Man alive, those nighttime operating restrictions have tethered this mutt to a very short leash. And then you've got Auntie Helen across the fence keeping tabs on that. The transport hassles and its residential location, it's just second rate. Yes, the Auckland Council is maxed out. So expecting the ratepayer to make a substantial contribution anytime soon to a new national stadium is going nowhere fast. But given the government's benevolence with the Christchurch Stadium project, a taxpayer contribution to a national stadium would certainly help the cause, and that wouldn't be unreasonable.
But let's not waste any more good money after bad on Eden Park. If a new national stadium can truly be built, owned and operated by the private sector, largely on the back of private money, we'd be mugs to stand in the way. Auckland deserves it. New Zealand deserves it. Oh, I can see the placards now. Don't stand in the way of the stand. I know, it's not just a stand we're talking about, it's a stadium. I, I, okay, it needs, needs a little bit of work, but we, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but first, maybe, should we break for lunch? All the ins and the outs, it's The Biz. On the Mike Hosking Breakfast with BNZ on Newstalk ZB. Righto. Now, the age-old lunch break seems to be becoming a thing of the past. A new survey by recruitment firm Hayes has found only 28% of Kiwi workers take their full lunch break most days. Most take about three quarters of their break and a fifth half of the time they're allowed. It's mainly because workers feel they can't get all of their work done if they take a full break. But there's also a bit of hope they can leave work a little earlier in the day. That's always a nice feeling. Well, I'm just trying to clarify, when is my lunch break exactly? Well, when do you feel like it, Glenn? (laughs) <laughs> well, you might all have the to time. Turn, yeah. I, mean, I constantly feel like it, <laughs> but it's just it's just a bit confusing. Uh, you know, getting in at about quarter to four. Yes, um, I would be going for about seven thirty. Mm. So seven thirty. I would. So in about I, half an hour's time, yeah, I can have an hour off. I'll I'd, come back mm. at eight thirty. I'm going to hang on these. The, the I show's think so. Finished. Yeah, I'd lock it in about then. We'll see how we go. We'll let you know if it works. I'd settle for breakfast if I'm going to be perfectly honest. Um. Why don't we have breakfast? The show's called Breakfast. I've made this complaint before. Nobody's listening. Put the breakfast back into breakfast. Stand up for the stand. The, the, the breakfast one works. The stand one, it's not just a stand. It's a stadium. Still haven't really made that work, eh? Uh, let's go off to the Space Centre. Uh, we're drawing this prize tomorrow, and uh, Mike has actually been there. I was very lucky enough to go to KSC, Kennedy Space Centre, a couple of years ago. I've got to say, the best place to stay on the Space Coast is nearby. Oh, is that what you were talking about? I can't, Every time I hear you say that, I thought you were talking about KFC. Oh. And I was thinking, why are you so excited about getting the fried chicken? Actually, there is a KFC just by KFC. I'm it's- not surprised. <laughs> this is um, Florida we're talking about. This is true. Coca Beach is very, very close to Cape Canaveral and uh, all the various activities you can do. It's a, it's a great place to stay. One really cool thing there, by the way, is... John Glenn and those Mercury astronauts, they were doing a bit of uh, part-time work. So what they'd work in the day at Cape Canaveral, right, with respect to their missions. And then on the side, they were building a hotel, um, Cape Colony Resort, which is a really cool place to stay. I think you call that moonlighting, do you, when you've got that on the side? Um, so you want to check that out. There's an I Dream of Jenny Lane in Coca Beach, Glen. This is serious, Master. There is. A lot of memorabilia. A lot of nostalgia. Um, I'm just trying to think back now. So I dream of Jeannie. What did we have there? A witch who was married to an astronaut. Is that what the scenario was? I think so. Wasn't it J.R. Ewing from Dallas? (laughs) We've gone down a deep, (laughs) deep, deep rabbit hole here. Oh, my God. Uh, Let me tell you about the major attraction at KUC, Kennedy Space Centre. This is the coolest thing you could ever do in your life. The shuttle launch experience. I mean, there's heaps of history. There's the rocket gardens. There's all, you know, all of the amazing heritage of NASA on display. But the really big experience is to go in this shuttle launch simulator. And it was actually put together using real life experiences from NASA astronauts 
to make it as remarkably realistic as possible in terms of the sensation of lifting off from the launch pad at Cape Canaveral in a shuttle and hurtling into space at 17,000 miles an hour. So they put this simulator out at KSC well, probably about three or four years ago now, and it's still the big thing. The amazing thing is, after you've been strapped into the payload bay of the simulator, right, for the eight-minute ascent, the G-forces upon liftoff are just so ferocious, you feel like your face is being lifted off. And just before I boarded the simulator, there was a rather surly, quite matronly attendant outside the entrance point to the simulator who reminded everyone getting on board, this is not a thrill ride, this is an educational experience, and if there's too much screaming, I'll shut it off. At which point I told Mike Yardley I was firing him because his accents were too good. Um, And our regular host uh, obviously always thinks he's doing an accent, it sounds Pakistani, unless he's doing a Pakistani accent and it sounds Welsh. That was a lie, of course, I thought that American accent was terrible, but... That's what I told him anyway. Uh, we're going to finish up quickly with a guy with a distinctly New Zealand accent, Reese Darby. I do want to start, obviously, with your debut children's book. I'm probably not your target market, Reese, mm. but I have to say I have found it absolutely engrossing. It's a hilarious read. Who is it actually targeted at? Well, maybe it is targeted at you. Mm. Um, it was, you know, obviously targeted for kids yep. uh, around the 8 to 12 mark. Yep. But, of course, I wrote it because... Uh, not only for them, but that would amuse me and anyone with a great sense of humour and a sense of adventure. Uh, and for reluctant readers who are like, oh, I haven't got time to read a full novel. I look at the words, I go, oh, that's boring. So this is this is the book that I think, um, especially for kids, uh, to also to break them into my style of comedy, but uh, for anyone who's already a fan of, of my work. Yeah. And Buttons McGinty, the character, how did that become conceived? What was your thinking behind Buttons? Well, uh, a few things. I do a podcast uh, called The Cryptid Factor, Mm -hmm. which is all about um, creatures that may or may not exist, unclassified by science. It's uh, it's a fun podcast. I do it with a couple of friends. Uh, One of the chaps on the show, his nickname is Buttons, uh, simply because he's the producer of the show and he pushes all the buttons, uh, pulls all the whistles uh, and that kind of thing. So the name is inspired by him because right. I am inspired by this guy. His name's uh, Leon, and he's a bit of a whiz. Right, that does it. I want you all to start just calling me Buttons from now on. Do you pull whistles? Is that what you do? Reese Darby just said you pull. He pulls whistles. I suppose you can pull a whistle. I don't know what the result of it is. I get, if it's a slide whistle, I suppose you can pull and push those. Is it, I think that's how they, they work. You still got to blow into you blow a whistle. That's what I'm, is my point. Anyway, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not trying to criticise Buttons' work. I'm sure. I asked asked tech guys have to stick together. I am Glenn ZB or or Buttons ZB. Uh, I'm just trying it out. See how we go. Uh, I'll see you back here again uh, tomorrow for more rewrapping.